The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 161 for Monday, July 28th, 2008. Greetings, folks. I'm Dave Hamilton. That was John Braun. And you are listening to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. How are you tonight, John? Fantastic. Excellent. It, you know, and I know I've said it before and we've gone down the path, but every time you say fantastic, of course, I think of lantastic, but we're not going to go down that path again. Yeah. But we do have a lot to go down. We do have lots of different paths to go down tonight. Uh, we're going to learn about the Mac OS X spelling checker a little bit. Talk about some cache sizes. Uh, we've got more haikus to wrap that up for uh, Smile on My Mac's fifth birthday, where they're giving away five licenses to their apps, uh, the app of their choice for all of the winners, uh, app of the winner's choice uh, for the winners of the haiku contest. And uh, uh, some stuff about password security, tips, cool stuff found, all kinds of great stuff. But, you know... <laughs> Again tonight, John, we're getting ready to prep the show. I sit down, I look in Yojimbo because that's where I keep all of the stuff uh, for the show and it's organized, you know, it's great. I, I do it on my machine down in the office. I come up here to the studio and magically it's here. No, it's not here. You know, the last time Yojimbo Yo synced, I can tell is not today, sometime earlier than today. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I look and uh, on this machine, the, the little, you know, dot max sync thing, uh, mobile me, whatever it is. It's the same, same, same stuff, same junk, different day, different name. Uh, you know, they, they got the little uh, mobile me icon sync icon in the in the menu taskbar thing there. I click on that and it says that the last time it synced was today and that's fine. You know, I go downstairs. I look at that computer. Last time it synced was yesterday. You think maybe if it was having trouble syncing, it might want to alert me. So here's the thing. I tell it to synchronize manually. And then it comes up with an error message. Can't sync because, you know, this one thing isn't right. Mail rules or some happy hoo-ha or whatever. It's like, okay, well, let's fix that, shall we? And by the way, next time something happens, why don't you just come on and tell me instead of sitting back there, not showing any error I, message, nothing. What, it, what, in what world is that the right way to, to write software? Uh, you write in, software for a living. Apple's world, Dave. Because you see, obviously, this has you very upset and... Yes. You see, by, by showing you the error message, they're, they're going to get you upset. You'll think that something's going wrong. So they just kind of hide the harsh reality of the error from you unless you really, really want to dig and, and get at the info. So I totally understand their strategy. They're protecting you from, from trauma. Yeah, except, you know, maybe if I'm relying no, I'm, on the on the sync to have actually worked because nothing said otherwise and I've been sitting at the stupid computer all freaking day. You think maybe, oh, and another thing, by the way, if you've got some sync conflict to fix, don't bury that behind every living window on my Mac so that I, there's no way I'll ever know that I need to do that unless I notice, oh, it hasn't synced in a day. Let me dig through a couple of windows here and, oh, look at that. It needs my attention. Y you think there'd yeah. be a better way? I mean, my God, what the heck? <sighs> uh, I, I'm with you because, yes, uh, I, I do software and it. Uh, at least the the software that I've been involved with, mm -hmm. a lot of the and I would say in some cases the majority of the development effort is to catch all of your errors and report them properly. Properly, one word, 
and and it or report them at all. Now, what you're <laughs> describing to me makes absolutely no sense because if it's available via one mechanism, which to me the only difference between the mechanisms is one you manually press a button, the other one it kind of wakes up and does its thing. They should behave in the exact same way. Now, maybe I, I don't know if somebody made a decision that you know if it's on automatic then maybe you don't want to toss up a dialogue that, that disrupts things. Okay, I have opinion, an idea. In my opinion, that's a... Oh, yeah, let the user... Ooh, ooh, ooh me, me. Let, I, let the user determine idea. whether they do that. Or, or you know, because I, I just happen to have the time capsule... Uh, sorry, the time machine icon right next to the, the, the mobile me sync icon. And when there's a problem uh, backing up, yeah. it puts a little exclamation point in the middle of the icon. Doesn't disrupt your workflow. Doesn't do anything. It's beautiful. Yeah, uh, That's the way you should do it. Maybe those guys could have lunch, and if they don't mind, they could share the code that draws the pixels for the exclamation point, and and the dudes in in mobile me, and by dudes I mean anybody that works there, regardless of sex, could 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 implement that because I don't care if it's a uh, a, a sexless uh, trained monkey that puts it in there, but something. Please, something. It could be an amoeba, right? As long as it puts that code in there for the next release of Mac OS ten. That's all I'm looking for. That's it. Yes, I believe the 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 feminine of dude is dudette. I think right. it's just dudes because because well, know, that's the plural all inclusive. But if you're you're identifying a single female dude, I think it's a dudette. All right. Well, see, I grew up here in New England, and and everybody is you guys, right? That that's just how it goes. So, oh, we we well, where I was, you know, which a little, you know, kind of southern part of Canada, you and I grew up. We, in the we same said spot. we said y'all. Oh. <laughs> No, you didn't. All right. No, we didn't. Uh, maybe, maybe. All right, Stuart. boy, that was a good tangent. But that was a good rant. So, so I, I'm with you. The, 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 yeah, somebody either made, either it's a bug or somebody made a bad, uh, bad. decision as to how it should react. Mobile me is the result of many bad decisions gone unchecked. It a great idea, and as I've said many times before. When it works, which which is the majority of the time. Now, I'm not saying this is acceptable. Oh, sure. But, I love but, it. Oh, it's awesome. And dude, with the iPhone and the whole the iPhone being a mobile me client. And, you know, I I went to the dentist today and, uh, you know, they told me about a new appointment. Right. So, you know, I put the thing into the calendar. By the time I got back to my desk, it's there. Good to go. That's beautiful, Very dude. Nice. Yeah. All right. So very nice. And you know, all right. So you're on a tangent or a rant, and I'm just going to wrap it up because I've tried something new which I really like. I think I told you we were migrating to uh, uh, Entourage. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say, I, I never thought I'd say this, but they did a really, really good job. This so, wait, client, you're using Entourage or Outlook? Entourage. Okay. On the Mac side. On, on the Mac side. So, of course. So right, at right. the nine to five, they're rolling out. Exchange uh, they're, they're ditching notes and they're putting up Exchange. So the Mac people, of course, run Entourage. You got to run the latest version in, in the latest Office. And so I'm testing out both platforms just for kicks because we have we have a pretty good Mac community. Not, sure. not huge, but but they permit it. it. It's not as bad as it used to be. But I was just thrilled at how it runs. And I mean, the coolest thing to, to me is that I'm running it on you know my portable and I only have it set up to talk to the work server. You don't have to run the VPN. It does a secure tunnel. They architected very nicely. So hats off to our IT people nice. for doing it that way. Because before you had to VPN in or you could use the web client, which was kind of icky. But yeah. here it just kind of knows there's a web client. If you have the, the you know big boy client like Entourage or Outlook, it'll go through a secure tunnel. Very, very well done. So I, I you know, in the past, I never thought I'd say this, but but the, the, they they did it. I don't know if you've used Entourage at all, but uh now, yeah, I have, um, but not to talk to an Exchange server. Now, does Entourage use 
its own tunnel or does it use OWA, which is um, Outlook Web Access? I, I for some reason I thought at one point in time Entourage used OWA to to get its data back and forth, which is fine. I mean, it's a it's a known quantity. There's no reason not to use um, it. As far as I know, from whatever call from the dialog box, it's actually a web DAP, a 443 connection. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so to me, it's not really important. So it's a, it's a secure tunnel. Look, it is like a browser. Right. But, um, but yeah, but it's okay. So it's using, it's not talking to the exchange server like Outlook would talk to it. I don't think, I think it's, I think no, it's using, I Outlook. think it's a gateway. Yeah. I think it's using the OA gateway to, to, to do its magic, which is yeah, fine. The end There's result wrong is that, yeah. the end result is that it works just as if I was sitting at my desk. That's so, beautiful. And, and it's secure because they're using SSL and all that. All right. So while we're on the rant thing here, I'm just going to I'm going to take this. So uh, we've heard that the iPhone uh, supports exchange. And I'm sure it's true if you if you actually were, were ahead of the technology curve. Oh, yes. Yeah. And some of my coworkers, actually. So the, yeah. the, a few of them, some I was surprised because not all of them are big Apple fans, but they were able through the same gateway. Yep. To use their iPhone to connect to the, the exchange server. So right. they're all thrilled that they can do it. And it just kind of worked. I think there's a, a certificate warning for some bizarre reason. I don't okay. Know, other than that, that they, they were just kind of shocked that it, it just kind of worked. As I was running the, the, the you know, heavy client on, on the Mac. I'm right. Like, wow, it just kind of connected. Okay, so here's the thing. When, uh, when mail comes in, now, now there's this big discussion about push email. And, and I'm going to talk about that right now. But I'm also going to say... I, I obsessed over push email when I got my trio uh, three years ago, and that that's actually the reason I stumbled onto the great email client that I always mention called Chatter. But but real in reality, I think I used push email about four different times uh, for specific reasons, and then otherwise I, I had to check every hour, and that was plenty and saved my battery tons. And I'm Are doing you talking this. IMAP. Well, and that's where I'm going with this. So on okay. on the trio. Uh, IMAP has an extension to the protocol, uh, and it's not on the, not just on the trio, but IMAP in, it, in and of itself has an extension called idle. And, and what that does is it allows you to create a connection to the IMAP server. It allows your, your Mac will do it with leopard. Uh, the mail client does it. And then there's various mail clients on portable devices. that will do it. And you, you log into the server and then say, okay, I'm done, but I don't want to disconnect. I want to leave the connection idle. And then what happens is, uh, other than some periodic uh, kind of handshakes, the connection is dormant. There's no data passed until the server gets a new message in your inbox, at which point the server says to the client, hey, uh, you might want to check for mail. And then the client goes and checks for mail. And, and sure enough, the, the message comes in. So it, it approximates that whole idea of push email in that the as soon as the message is on the server, bam, it's it's on your your desktop. Now, on the iPhone. We know that we can do this "quote unquote" push email with MobileMe, uh, and and that works fine. And we also know that bypassing Apple's servers entirely, you can do the same thing with Exchange, like like your uh, like your coworkers do there, John. They they the Exchange server syncs up, and then the Exchange does it with its own protocol. But it's the same thing. The, the server says there's new mail, and boom, you know you, you've got it right away. You don't have to wait for a periodic check. What is amazing to me is they bothered to implement all of this stuff, including the support for Exchange, which totally, again, bypasses MobileMe servers. And yet they do not support IMAP idle on the iPhone. So if you've got some third party IMAP mail server, uh, i.e. anything but MobileMe or an Exchange server, you can't do push email. And again, for me, I don't really care because it doesn't matter. 
I don't, I don't use push email. I, I don't see the, 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 that, that particular obsession does not apply to my OCD. Well, that's, that's the whole Blackberry crowd, right? It is. Yeah, crack, exactly. Crackberry as we put it. Yeah. But I don't understand why they don't support idle on the iPhone when they support all this other stuff. But anyway, that, that, that's my, uh, so that's my, that's my little rant there. But wow. Okay. So yeah. sh- <laughs> we should probably get to the show, but, but the, no, that, that, that was a good rant. And, and please, you know, if, uh, if you have any follow-ups or, you know, uh, opinions about what we ranted about, good or bad, um, you know, let us know. Stuart writes in. Hi, Dave and John. I regard myself as a Mac tech head, but this has me puzzled. I got a friend to buy a G5 iMac some years ago, 1.8 gigahertz model. As far as I know, they were still using Tiger 10.4. They have a teenage son who gets past the passwords and, in, and into the admin account. I set the iMac up that when the iMac starts up, it will go straight into the account login stream screen. I would put a password in that only the parents know. They say they've changed the password a number of times and say he doesn't see what they type to know the password, but he's still able to access the accounts and change his account using the parent account. How is this possible? And is there a way for someone to bypass the login screen and get access to the main account? All right. So my, my gut here says, well, to answer Stuart's question, directly yes there is a way if you have the boot up cd a 10.4 startup cd or maybe even a 10.3 or a 10.5 boot from the cd it launches the installer dvd it launches the installer you go to the install menu or installer menu or utilities menu i guess in in later versions of the os and there's a reset password utility so yes this is what happens i'm sure he goes in he resets the uh password and and boom he's you know off and running that that would be my guess as to as to how this happens. So my advice would be, you know, hide that CD. Right. What, what do you think, John? Yeah, but you can. Get, well, what do I? Th- oh, here we go. OK, <laughs> so to me, this is not just a technology issue. This is a parenting issue. Now, my initial reaction. So so teenager, right? Somebody needs yeah. a whooping, I think. <laughs> oh, wait, no. The belt. <laughs> no. No, we certainly do not recommend, uh, um, you know, beating your kid up for, for being a wise ass. But uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, here's the thing. You, you can uh, now, depending on who listens to this, um, uh, we're, we're going to have a, a technology uh, a showdown here. There is a way to prevent the whippersnapper from booting off of the CD. And it depends. And actually, uh, I looked in the past and Apple had uh, updated their document on this and we will link to it but but there is something um, called open firmware password or firmware password utility what this mm. does is that on almost every modern mac if you enable this which um could either be and, and there are different ways to do it depending on what version of the os you're talking it may be on your hard drive it may be on the boot disk um so this is why we're talking a, a race here to see who can figure this out first hopefully it's the parents um is that you can run this and basically if you enable this password, many functions of the computer are disabled, mostly for, I would say, security reasons, Dave. Um, for example, one thing it disables is the ability to boot off of a CD, ah. unless you know the password, the firmware password, as opposed to the admin password, just to be very clear. So this is Got a it. different password that's kind of buried in the computer. So if you can get to this and enable this, um, our, our young friend will no longer be able to boot off of a CD, which as far as I know is, is how he's going about this. And it won't let you do a lot of other things too, Dave. And you, you and I looked over this list here. Uh, you know, you can't 
change the PRAM. You can't boot up in a lot of modes here, like netboot, target disk mode, things like that. All all the little sneaky ways that you can, you know, kind of make the, the get at the information on the Mac without having to enter a password. Excellent. So now they do claim, you know, uh, this is unsupported, blah blah blah. So you know, use it at your own risk, I guess. But um, but this is the way. Now, uh, the, the, to go back and forth, I mean, if our young friend has access to the computer. In theory, I guess he could rip the thing open, pull the hard drive. And the thing is, physical access is, is uh, once physical access is compromised, you're, you're kind of in a rough situation. Though I doubt he's going to go to the effort to actually, he or she, I think he, um, is going to go through the effort to actually crack the machine open. Yeah, with the iMac. <laughs> pull the hard drive. Yeah, it's tough getting that drive. That's a, that's a lot of work. I mean, not, not a ton of work, but. It, it's yes. not as simple as just popping open a tower and pulling the drive out. That's right. Yeah. But to me, I, w- I would say, um, yeah, enabling this will, you will, for the, for the time being, one up. Um, but then again, seriously, this sounds like a, a trust and parenting issue. And I'm certainly no expert because I don't have kids. You do, Dave. But, um, but for things to get to that point where there's a suspicion that, you know, he, he's intentionally going against your wishes. Um, that that just doesn't sound good to me. Yeah. I don't know if you have any fatherly advice. there. Uh, actually, I'm going to dispense with my fatherly advice and just say, listen, um, look, you know, that kid, that's John and I uh, a number of years ago, maybe just like two or three. But uh, I know that as as uh, as teenagers, you and I figured out all that stuff that we weren't supposed to figure out. Now, you know, our parents had no idea that, that, uh, they, our parents, no, uh, you no. know, they didn't really use the computers that we used much. So th- there was no issue with that. But that whole idea of, OK, here's this here's this wall. Let me figure out how to get around it. That's pretty much all you and I ever did with our computers as kids. And it teaches you a lot about the troubleshooting process and all that. Now, yes, I'll, I'll pull my fatherly advice back in. Clearly, there's a trust issue in the household, and that's a bad thing. Uh, but. Fixing the trust issue while still allowing the child the ability to explore and and learn these skills can obviously be very valuable. I mean, you know, John and I have taken pretty much that groundwork and and individually each turned it into different things, but successful things. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to ramble too much more here, but yeah, don't but, but I th- don't I think it's the creativity here. On the other hand, I think my parents that they had some awareness of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. They, they played dumb when the phone cops came. And, Whoa! But um, oh no, the guy was like, "Wow, your son has very good technique." Uh, mm-hmm. You know, navigating the phone system and opting for making calls. Um, <laughs> and they kind of knew, right? But um, yeah, there's there's another you, you know I, regular dialogue. I think you know just you know why do you feel a need to you know do this and what are you looking at? I mean, I can probably guess, but. Hey, that that's not a topic of this podcast. That's right. I was just going to say we're we're now way off track. So we'll we'll link to this and uh, and I think that will for, for uh, solve the technical problem of there you of, go. Uh, of uh, you know changing the admin password. Which actually, you know, I had to do that at work. Now I'll admit sometimes it's good to do that on certain older Windows platforms. You can get a magic CD and blank out the admin password. In this case, we had to because it was a machine that was administered by somebody yep. who suddenly uh, had to leave the company. Yep. So nobody knew the admin password, and it was either, yeah, tear the drive out of there. Well, this was an NTFS drive, so that would have been pretty rough. Or run the magic utility that wipes the, uh, you know, maybe we'll link to that too for our Windows folks. But but you know, sometimes there's a legitimate reason to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I I was when I had the consulting business. I remember 
saving someone's bacon one day. They had fired some guy and, sh- and were in exactly that situation. And I had the magic floppy with me that I put in and it was like, boom, here we go. You know, mm-hmm. and they're like, that's it. I'm like, you're done. You're all set. Like, oh, thank you. All right. Hey, uh, Lou. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. This is Lou calling from Madison, Wisconsin. Say, I have a unique problem. My father has an iMac and has had the ability to probably every two months cause it to go to a blue screen of death or <laughs> or just stop working to the point where my brother or I mm. are summoned to restore everything. And I'm wondering, since he tells us he never, ever does anything to really make this happen, that it just does it on its own, but this is a second machine that it does it on its own, so I can't blame the hardware. Um, what ways we can protect the machine so we can easily restore it? Um, thanks. Look forward to your answer. Bye. Yeah, you bet, Lou. Uh, you know, so I heard this, and my, my first thought, John, was, all right, so e- accepting that you're going to have to go and rebuild this machine again, go ahead, the next time you do it, bring a FireWire drive with you, and make a uh, super duper, you know, disk image of the whole drive as soon as you get it the way you want it before your dad gets to touch it. And at least that way, when you come back, uh, you're able to, you know, just restore it quickly, easily. You don't have to reinstall apps. It's just boom. You wipe the drive, put the stuff back on, leave it in his uh, overly capable hands and and off you go. And and so that that that's. That's my advice here. Uh, John, you have, uh, I, I know you've got, some. <laughs> how, how could you not have something to say about this? Um, so I'm going to have a couple of things. So first off, I wouldn't necessarily assume, but well, let's cover the basics here. Machines can fail due to power spikes, due to um, you know, all sorts of mishaps, maybe physical mishaps, um, or, or it just could be bad luck. You and I, on occasion, Dave, have had bad luck. So I, I wouldn't necessarily, though, though I'm, I'm inclined to chalk it up. Because um, my parents also, uh, probably your parents too, every now and then they'll call with a computer question. Uh, um, since they have Macs, it's usually not too often, but every now and then. Oh, yeah. um, but I would say, now I, I kind of chuckled as I started thinking about this, but then I started going down this path and I think it makes sense. So one, you may want to create a guest account. On, on dad's machine you mean um, a, a non i'm sorry a, a non-administrator i'm sorry not Got guest it. that 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 that's bad word because there is a guest account i guess right. which you you're probably not supposed to use actually um or a lot of os's it, it's discouraged from having a guest account because it usually allows just anybody to stumble along and do certain things so um but to create a non-administrator account as as you should know or if you don't administrator can cause much damage to a system and although Dave and I, I would say we're, you know, uh, card carrying geeks, we, we, we can run as administrator for the most part and not not destroy things um, for a, a non-technical user. I would say the best thing is to set up a non-admin account. Right. So to me, that that that's one option, um, though. I don't you know, I haven't uh, uh, to be honest, Dave, I haven't tried a non-admin account, but can non-administrators install apps or would then the the admin have to do that i guess the admin would right i yeah i think in most cases you've got to enter even even if you're logged in as an admin you have to authenticate yourself in order for an app to be installed so if you're not logged in as an admin you then have to type the username and password not just the password 
uh, of a of an administrator in order to yeah. do that. So actually, you know, I'm thinking like an admin is that a lot of times, and I'm seeing this especially in the workplace, allowing non technical people admin access and to install every little gizmo and gadget and the new generation of smileys and bonsai buddy and all. I'm sure that's what's all causing that horrible these problems. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, in some cases, and I would argue there's a there's a population that should not be given the ability to install apps. Yes, it's all about freedom and, you know, computers enable you and stuff. But sometimes you just got to put your foot down and say, look. So I would say in this case, you may want to actually also enable parental controls. Now, normally <laughs> parental controls is meant for. You know, parents to to limit the actions of their kids. But I think in this case, it doesn't necessarily say which direction the parental relationship works. So you may also want to further lock down the account by turning on parental controls for it. It it not only, you know, disables certain things, but it also does some level of logging. So maybe you can, you know, after, you know, after things crash and burn, you can dig through the wreckage and find in a log, if not the console logs, what exactly was done to cause grief? Like I, I, I uh, you know, I have a one, one friend who every now and then out of the blue and, and uh, when I start, you know, when he starts telling me, oh, well, you know, my Mac's not working right. And I'm like, okay, what did he do now? <laughs> and like one was like, you know, I, I threw away my system folder and now it doesn't, the system doesn't work. What do I do? I'm like, oh. So, so that's why I recommend either a non-admin or parental controls because it'll clamp down a lot of, you know, the actions that can lead to to disaster. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. I, I mean, I I know I laughed when you. <laughs> it's it's because it's funny that it would be used backwards like that, but uh, but it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, because they I have like, like you know simple Finder only allows selected applications. You can control to to that level. Again, I haven't looked at this for a long time. I don't know if you use it with uh, with your kids, Dave, or you just kind of trust them. <laughs> uh, we trust that we don't use it with our kids yet. Um, on, on, only because we haven't found a situation where we've had to. And well, you have you have like a common area where exactly. right, when the kids are surfing. Somebody is always there. So, yeah. so and, and that, I think, is an excellent way to, to kind of manage, manage things. It is. And, you know, to be honest, that's how uh, this is like the parenting show. Uh, but but that, <laughs> that's how it was when I was a kid. Our, our computer, the Apple IIc at the time, for those of you that listened to show 100, uh, it, that, that was that my my formative computing years were, were spent on that machine. But but that Apple IIc was in literally in the middle of our house. So. Yeah, I mean, well, my my dad would be making dinner, or we'd be doing stuff, or family would be watching TV or whatever. The computer was right there, so uh, it could get away with a lot, but not, you know, it, you were always right there. So that that's and that's a good thing. And I'm even chuckling here. They even have time limits. Yeah. So they have like weekday, weekend, and bedtime. So you know, if you all also want to help your dad's overall health, I think you may want to enable the bedtime option to kind of enforce. Uh, you know, so he's not up at three in the morning on the computer. I mean, come on. Okay. Okay. But no, it's 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 a it's a facet of a of a parental controls that I never thought of before. So there you go. There you go. Uh, okay. Uh, our first sponsor for this show is Audio Engine. Uh, AudioEngineUSA.com is where you go to check out all their products. Now, they've got a lot more products than they started with uh, when when they were first sponsors of the Geekab. You know, the first thing that we ever talked about here from them was the audio engine a fives, 
which are their, I'll call them full-size uh, bookshelf speakers, if you will. Uh, Full-range speaker. They're the ones that they, they sent me before it was even a, an official product, and I couldn't talk about the name, but I was able to talk about the product. And I still have that set of speakers right here on the desk in the studio. They're full-range, lots of low-end, two speakers, and then two speakers in each enclosure and two separate enclosures and then hanging off the back you can put an airport express because it's got a uh, a little power jack and it's got a usb port on the top that you can use to charge an ipod and then of course you can plug the ipod in with the mini 8 connector then uh they came out with the smaller version of those so those are 349 the smaller version is the a2s uh which have almost as full range of sound and um, in a much smaller enclosure so truly desktop speakers and those are one ninety nine. And then if you want, uh, they have the AS8, which is their powered subwoofer for three ninety nine, uh, which you can put under the desk or, or wherever you like to really fill in that low end. And if you want these speakers or really any speakers uh, to be remotely playable to from your Mac, and that's bad English, but good product. Mm. Uh, they have the AW1 for one forty nine, which is a USB audio wireless adapter and you plug one of them into your Mac, you plug the other end into any speakers. It can be powered via USB or a battery. If the speakers don't have a USB port to plop to power it and uh, using a mini eight, you go right into the speaker. The coolest thing about it is yes, it's wireless, but it's so the latency is so low that you can totally play a movie on your Mac and have the sound come out of these wireless speakers and totally good to go. The cool part is 10% off to any Mac Geekab listener using the coupon MGGTEN. All available at AudioEngineUSA.com. And with that, we move on to John. Ship- John, uh, let's see. He Well, you know, I got one other thing here yeah. um, for, for the prior question. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Time machine or time capsule would be a good thing. Oh, yeah. If at a certain point in time, all of a sudden things stop working. Well, from what I can see, you can roll back to an earlier uh, uh, time machine backup. So, uh, that yeah, I guess one. I guess you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd still do the carbon copy cloner or the super oh, image just to have. That would be the best backup option. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, you might be able to trace back in uh, in time machine backups and see what uh, what your what your dad changed. That's a good idea for Lou. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And in uh, the A5s, my, my test is I can crank them up to 11, go across the street, and I can still hear them, which oh, that's, that's a good test for any speaker. Hey, isn't the police department across the street from you? No, they're down the street. Oh, all right. No, that's good. <laughs> they, they can't hear them. Okay, good. <laughs> that, would be, that would be bad. Uh, okay, so we've been talking about UPS's uh, uninterruptible power supplies, that is, not, not little men and in, in women in brown trucks brown. and brown uniforms, right? Uh, and John wrote in, not, not John Braun, but another John. And he says, just adding to your UPS discussion, I have my network switch, airport extreme, Skype phone, broadband router, all plugged in, aiming to maintain my internet and network connection. I have a 1500 volt amp APC branded UPS. I think this helps keep everything more stable, especially within the home network. I was, however, interested in your comment in episode 159 about only plugging directly from devices into the UPS. I don't do this. I've made up a few power strips to split the outlets to various devices. 
This is not only because there aren't enough outlets for my devices, but more importantly, the outlets are inappropriate for some devices. For example, my modem, external hard drives, etc., have transformer, transformer power bricks, i.e. wall warts, yeah. which don't mm-hmm. connect directly to the sockets on the UPS. Also, the Macs I've owned in recent years have slightly modified power connectors. They have a wider bit around the plug that makes that seems to make a more secure connection. The male-to-female cords supplied with the UPS don't make such a secure connection with Macs as the proper Apple power cables, so I have mine plugged into a normal socket in the power strip. I'm interested to hear this isn't supported by the warranty, but it has, hasn't caused me any problems in terms of the UPS not coping with the demand. While I have more devices than built-in outlets, many of the devices are low power. Okay. I learned this the hard way. I had a bunch of stuff blow up that was connected to a UPS. Now, <clears throat> in all fairness, none of the stuff blew up from AC power. It was actually DC power, i.e. Um, Ethernet cable, uh, coax cable and uh, telephone wires that took the surge and blew up various things on the devices. But I figured, hey, what the heck? I've got this UPS. It comes with a $25,000 hardware warranty for anything that's plugged into it. There's no limitation on whether it's connected to, you know, some low voltage thing elsewhere. Sounds good. So I called up uh, whatever company it was. It wasn't APC, but but from my understanding, it they, they all support. They, they all act the same way with in this regard. And I started explaining. They said, OK, uh, yep, yep. You know, got me to the warranty department. No problem. Uh, fill out this form. And as part of the form, you need to diagram, uh, you know, how you've got things plugged in. So, you know, start with the wall outlet and go from there. So, you know, wall outlet to UPS, UPS to power strips, power strips to devices, just like John describes in his letter. And they called me and they said, well, uh, the only things we're supporting are the things that are plugged directly into the UPS. And I said, what do you mean? Like, well, mm-hmm. we don't have a letter on file that we sent you that says uh, that you're allowed to have a power strip. Do you have that letter? And I said, no. And they said, oh, yeah. Well, if you're going to plug anything into a power strip, if you're going to plug anything in between the device and the UPS, you need to call us first, tell us exactly what is going in between and we need to send you a letter saying, yep, that's an approved way to set this up. So the way I had it set up may or may not have been approved. Uh, but being that it was all happening after the fact, they conveniently said uh, that's not approved and you can't really blame them because they don't know what's in the middle. They, it, it's not their stuff. So they would have warranted the power strip if that blew up perhaps. Oh, nice. Uh, right. But, but not anything beyond that. And you, and in, in thinking about it, though, I wasn't really happy about their answer. You can't really blame them because they don't know what, you know, what you've done here. And uh, and so for for John and anyone else, I recommend either plug all the stuff directly in or give them a call. Tell them what you're doing. And uh, and chances are they'll send you a letter. I think it was Triplight actually was was the manufacturer of the UPS that I had. Huh. And uh, and and then, you know, and then you're good to go. And that way you're covered. Uh, but but definitely yeah. call them and walk through that. No, you know, I'll disagree with you. I, I, I think that's lame. I all think right. if you're rated at a certain, you know, power amperage, wattage and all that, and somebody plugs in a power strip, which is basically an extension, I would say they should cover that, too. So what, I, what, if, what if the power I, strip I, has a funky surge protector that's faulty, that that sends a surge along the line that it shouldn't and or or it causes some feedback loop or something and then and then you're screwed. I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't buy it. They, they should handle it. Well, and maybe there's a would. misbehaving device beyond the UPS, then uh, deal with it, you know. <laughs> Good luck. You shouldn't permit, you know, the bad thing to happen, which blows up everything connected to the power strip. You're, you're the, the first line of defense. I don't know. Well, that's how they work. Now, again, I'm not a double E. I know double E. So maybe there's a good technical reason why, uh, you know, but still, come in. Come on. What do you buy this stuff for to prevent surges and, and all sorts of nasty things to happen? No, I, I, I'm with you, too. Yeah. If there's something weird, like if they create a short or something like that, who, who the heck knows? So, right. And that's I the thing. So. They, they don't know. It, it, you know, it could be. I mean, think about this. You may if not- they really do it, because to me, it just sounds like bureaucratic red tape. Oh, yeah. You got to send us the model of, you know, all this and that. Now, if they truly honored it, and that, that, that's why I guess I'm, I'm hesitant, because it, to me, it just sounds like a, a, a slight cop out. Oh, well, you didn't form, you know, fill out for ABC 123 stroke, you know, right. 987. Right. Uh, sorry, we can't honor your claim. And, and you remember us sending you that. It, it, it just, uh, to me, hinted at, you know, slightly, you know, un wholesome behavior <laughs> unwholesome yeah i think i think what it is is you know you're not supposed to plug another surge protector in a, a dummy like plain vanilla does nothing but extent but adds outlets power strip you know kind of a glorified extension cord uh, that's the kind of thing that they actually want you to plug into it but if okay, you plug like it, an extension cord yeah. so you would agree that an extension cord which is just an electrical metal extension with no circuitry it, it, that they should be able to deal with that. As long as that extension cord is properly rated for the Got current it. that Got you're it. sending through it. And, okay. and that, that too is the kind of thing that they want to, they want to, and they told me, they're like, look, you know, we don't make a big deal about this. We do it all the time. We keep all these letters on file. It, you know, we, it, but we got to know that you're plugging it into a cord that's, that's doing this. And the guy mm-hmm. said to me, you know, what we need to make sure is you're not plugging another surge protector in because that can cause a feedback loop or even worse, plugging another battery backup unit <laughs> into this one. And now we're trying to charge a battery, you know, this, this whole stuff. He's like, look, he, he says you because I laughed when he said that, just like you did. He said, but people don't know. People think that, you know, a, a, well, a, if you can plug one thing into another, somebody's going to do it. Bingo. Exactly. And he says, you know, not all power strips are created equal. And I said, no, I, I got that. I said, and, and I, I've built this in a way that it's right. He said, I, he says, I believe you. He says, but corporate policy is that we can't cover anything that we haven't previously certified. And I said, OK, you know, fair enough. So I bought more stuff. Not happy got about it. it, but that's yeah. So let that be a lesson to you, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, you know, if if you want the stuff to be protected by that uh, that twenty five thousand dollar insurance policy that most of those consumer grade ones pop on there, make sure you call them, tell them what you're doing, follow their advice. All right, is it time for Snoop, John? Oh yeah. Okay, Snoop breaks in right there. Hmm. Blah. I have one question. On the Mac, we have system wide spelling corrections, and that's really cool. But now I made a mistake. As I'm a non-native English speaker, I make some mis- mistypes each time I write text, and then it's really cool to have the spelling checked directly. But on one word, I act- accidentally clicked on ignore. It is one word I mistype very often because of a similar word in my mother tongue. But the point is, I now want to change this ignore option again, but I cannot find it. I check system preferences, and it's not there. It seems to be somewhere, but I don't know where. Please tell me where to access these system-wide spelling corrections. All right. 
this this actually created quite a bit of research here at, at TMO Towers today. And, and I think we're I, I think, uh, yeah, I'll let you go. Uh, but we saw differ different behavior on different systems. At least I'm going to claim that, Dave. So, you, OK, huh? I, I, I'll you, you can claim that. So here's the thing. You've got uh, when you when you mistype a word, you have three choices. You can fix it. You can tell the system to ignore and you can tell the system to learn. I'm going to guess that Snoop clicked learn at some point because here's how they work. Oh, okay. Here's how they here's how they're supposed to work. When you click fix, obviously it fixes it to whatever word you've chosen. If you click ignore it ignores it only for that particular document, the whole document, but just that document and that session. When you open a new document or open that one again, it will re complain about that particular word or that particular spelling. If you click learn, however, it learns it system wide and there is no GUI interface for editing that list. Once you've added something to it, you can't even see what's in the list. In the GUI, but we found it. That's terrible. Yep. I found a Mac OS 10 hints article uh, that uh, as, as I found it, uh, Jeff Gamut was was busy digging into his system and he actually found it on his own. If you look in your home folder and the library folder, if you have created the learn list, it is in the spelling folder. Otherwise, the spelling folder will not exist. And then for me, because my language is set to English. The name of the file is E-N. Now, you can open this file in just about any text editor, but Ooh. be careful. Each word is separated by a delimiter. Now, uh, delimiter is the character between words. This one is one that many text editors cannot see. I opened it in BB Edit, and I was able to see it by going to the uh, text menu the, the view menu, I guess, and, and choosing text display and show hidden characters. Text menu. And then uh, show hidden characters that let me see the delimiters. And really all I did was wipe out the file because I didn't have anything that I had, had learned in there prior. But that's where it lives. That's how you edit it. Uh, if you don't have BB edit, if you're not comfortable with the terminal, the only option you really have is erase the entire file, empty the trash and and start from scratch uh, uh, learning new custom spellings uh, uh, otherwise you've got to either use bb edit uh, text wrangler would be the free alternative um, yeah, and you can use terminal uh, based things i think emacs and vi would would both get you in there but those are not for the faint at heart well e emacs and actually i saw that when i was looking around at an article suggesting how to mess with this file and and actually uh, someone i think has also written an apple script that will manually add things to this file because, um, really? you know, it was a little side thing. Hey, if you want a quick and dirty way to add a lot of words to that file, you know, custom words that you don't want it to flag, mm. then normally you can't do that unless you use, you know, as Dave pointed out, some editors that understand these magic characters and you know how to type them in. Um, but somebody's written an Apple script to do that. Um, what else about that? Oh, and now what Dave's speaking about, this is the global... You know, spelling utility within OS 10, which is available, uh, I think, as you pointed out, Dave, in mail and text edit and, you know, most Apple applications. And I guess some third party, mm -hmm. uh, 
not everybody uses this spelling database. Like, for example, Microsoft, I guess, does their own thing, and they have their own speller. I think Adobe has their own speller. It's uh, actually kind of sad that everybody has their own <laughs> yeah. dictionary and stuff where can't you all get, you know, get together? <laughs> um, but the one thing I did notice, now you can also, when, when you're within a document, uh, like, for example, I'm in text edit, if you either go to the edit menu and say spelling and grammar, that will bring up various features of the... Uh, built-in speller, such as showing the dialogue that lets you do certain things that they've mentioned. You can say, check document now. Here's the, the, the cool one, you know, check spelling while typing. And that's usually uh, checked. And then um, check grammar with spelling. So there's, um, you know, a few things you can access uh, using, uh, uh, well, what else? I guess you can also do with the uh, contextual menu. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the, the, that's, Oh, I get yeah. You get there with the edit menu or the contextual menu over a spelling error. You can you can get there. That's right. Yeah. So hopefully that helps, Snoop. Uh, again, if you've got to, you can just blow that file away and start from scratch, or or take your chances editing it. And I guess if that fails, blow it away. Now the the only thing I guess you and I differ on is that you had claimed, and and I I believe you, but. Uh, uh, I thought he was asking about how to unignore things. And what you stated and you verified, at least on your setup, Dave, was that ignore only lasts for the current application session. Yes. Yeah. And that that's uh, according to Apple uh, okay. as well. No, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I thought I had situations where I did that. And when I started the app again, it, it would not revert to the prior state. Uh, uh, interesting. Yeah, and then of course the thing. Now you know the one thing though. I was trying to research this topic, and you know what happened to me again? My library folder disappeared again because where you're supposed to go is library spelling. Right? Or was that the home folder? No, no home, it was the home user folder. folder. Home folder, library spelling. So users slash short username slash right, right, library right. slash stuff. I had this happen again, and I had to run the uh, as you recall. You know, we covered this a while ago, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll link to it again. But I had to run this set file thing. You know, so I could get to it from the go to, I think it's go to folder in the finder. And uh, so it was there, but it was just invisible in my user view. And I had to run this Apple utility to unset the invisible bit. I don't know who keeps setting it. I'm really wondering. I think you have gremlins <laughs> on your computer. Yeah, it could be a little gremlin. I don't, don't want to reinstall the, uh, <laughs> the OS. That time will come, you know. Yeah. Oh, what else we got here? All right. Uh, well, we've answered a bunch of questions. We've got some tips coming up. If you want to contribute to the show or you want to ask a question or you simply want to say hi, uh, there's a lot of ways you can do it. So uh, you can email in to feedback at com. That gets to both John and I. And really, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. That is absolutely the best email address for anything to do with the show. If you email John or I individually, even if you email us both, it doesn't get into the queue for the show. And it, it really kind of it. It's fine. I mean, if, if that's what you've done, don't worry about it. But in the future, just try mm -hmm. just use that feedback at MacGeekGab.com. It makes life a whole lot easier for us. Yeah, except for, you know, the groupies, the real, you know, hardcore fans. If you really <laughs> want to mail us directly. There you go. That's fine. Secret stuff. You don't want the other person to see. That's right. Seriously. <laughs> Okay. Please share. Yeah, it, it really helps us put the show together if you uh, if you send to the uh, the the group email address. Yeah. Uh, so you can Skype to Mac Geek Gab, and again, that account is never available on Skype, but you send voicemail to it, and that gets 
that gets right to us. It actually, we've got a, a magic little setup. It gets right to us immediately. We don't have to go into Skype to check it anymore. It comes right to that uh, that same feedback at MacKeekab.com email. Yeah, I'd, I'd prefer, call, you know, a lot of people like the phone. I hear the phone's very popular. Yeah, and how do they, uh, how do they dial the phone there, John? Well, you know, you got these buttons, one, two, three. <laughs> 206-666-GEEK, which is, Dave, as you know. 4335. And then uh, John has not joined the fray yet, and I can't really blame him. Uh, but but you can follow me on Twitter. At I get twi- the notifications. Twitter.com. Well, you get the notifications for people following uh, the Mac yeah. Geek Gab thing, which doesn't have any activity on Twitter. But you can follow me at Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton. And I'm usually pretty active there. Um, in addition to there, I'll, I'll do our tips backwards. Um, a bunch of you had emailed me and a couple had even uh, sent me messages via Twitter asking, you know, I, I kind of mentioned my backup strategy in a recent show and a bunch of you said, okay, uh, you sort of glossed over it. Uh, Can you write it down somewhere? And I did, I actually posted it to my blog. We'll put a link in the show and then, and then uh, we reran it over at TMO to, uh, to expose it to even more of you. So you can look at it at either place. There's, Actually, more comments on the post on my blog than there are on the one on TMO just because it went up earlier. So uh, make sure you actually make sure you check them both out. Yeah, that was good. I I remember us talking about that. And it was like peeling an onion because initially it was like, well, I only do this. Well, no, wait, I do this, too. Right, right. Backup strategies are. are, Yeah, I mean, sometimes they they get kind of complex. Mm -hmm. It depends on what you're trying to do. But, yeah, I think yours is good because you you have no. uh, What do we call it in the. uh, you know, computer, a single point of failure. That's Never right. have a single point of failure. Spread the joy, spread the love. Right. Put your backups all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Actually, location, I don't know if you do this. You probably don't do, you know, get this extreme, but I know a lot of data centers do is, uh, data centers will do this, is that you don't have all your backup tapes in one location. Because what, you know, heaven forbid if, you know, something destroys a physical location. Well, yep. maybe you should spread it around the country or around a physical area. So maybe have one at work, have one at home, or depending on your security policy. But but that, that, that I think, is usually for, for data that is really critical. You don't want to have the backups all in one physical location. That's I, just... I agree. And that, that's actually the reason that I set the time capsule up over at the house, because I figured the data on my work machine here in the office is the critical data. And... You know, I, the house and the office are separate. There's what, I don't know, maybe 100 feet between them. And there's Ethernet cable underground. It, chances are, if the office torches, the house is going to be all right and vice versa. I mean, it would take a lot to, to, to get fire from one to the other. Uh, so so that, that's actually, that was actually part of my thinking of, of putting that time capsule over there. Because now I've got all my data backed up and it's at the house. So if the house... Get, gets torched, well, the data is still here at the office in its various capacities. And if the office gets torched, well, it's still on the time capsule over at the, uh, over at the house. So. Nice. So, so short of a meteor strike or something, I think you're, yeah. you're in pretty good shape. I th- yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, y- you, you can't account for all, uh, what do we call them, acts of God, right? Uh, th- that's what the lawyers like to call them. So I, I've accounted for some, and I think that's, you know, that's a feather in my cap. Speaking of feathers in, in one's cap, uh, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure we use the reverb on, on, on this particular wish, and it appears as though it's come true, though. I don't have a ba- an Apple TV, but Baco does. Hey, John and Dave. This is Baco in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I was uh, just listening to your uh, latest podcast. I'm sitting here on my walk, actually, as we speak, and I 
observed something the other night on uh, the Apple TV. That when I saw it, it was new with the updates for the Mobile Me, or I don't know how long it's been there, but I thought it was with the Mobile Me. I'm staying pretty uh, recent with those, and it's something that uh, Dave, you had asked for a long time ago, and it's now when you're browsing the uh, movie store, you have a new wish list option. You can kind of flag these things and come back to them later when you need. All right, that's it. Just a little tip. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you very much, Baco. That's uh, that's great to know. Uh, okay, so we do have uh, two more haikus uh, to go through, and, and these are haikus uh, to finish up the smile on my Mac contest. And so we'll do one now. And, and then we've got some cool stuff that, that, uh, has been found that we want to talk about. And then we'll wrap the show up with the other one. Ron Miller wins with form meets function here. What I can think I can Mac beauty still within. I like that. That's nice. Oh. Ron. Yeah, short and sweet. That just sings to me. It does. It, you know, and that one uh, sang to everyone. I, I, you know, we'd pass these around here. I, I'd given a ball to Lisa and John, of course, and I looked at them and Pilot Pete and every single person that looked at them pulled that one out of the, the list of however many there were. So that, that one very nicely done, Ron. Okay. So we've got some cool stuff to talk about. Um, can I talk about File Magnet, John? Uh, yes, of All course right. you can. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, so the iPhone is this, uh, this little device that you carry with you everywhere. And like an iPod, uh, it's got storage capability, but being an iPhone, uh, you can't access the file system on it. So it means you can't use it like a portable flash drive. Well, file magnet solves that problem. It's an app that you install on the iPhone from the app store. Uh, and then you also install an app on your Mac and it's available at magnetismstudios.com slash file magnet. And what it does is over a Wi-Fi network, it allows you to copy files to and from your iPhone. And John, you're saying that you, you think we talked about this already. I, I think we talked about touched it. touched on it. We talked about it in prep for last week's show. I'm pretty sure it never actually made it into the show. Okay. I think. <laughs> but if I'm talking about it again, that... If not, it's pretty darn cool, though. It, it is, yeah. And so the cool thing is you can copy files to it and from it from any Mac. Uh, you're on a Wi-Fi network and you give it access and, and there you go. The other thing is you can view a lot of the files that are on it. Um, Excel files... Uh, some of those get a little wacky, but certainly PDFs and, and Word documents, and uh, they're, they're coming up with uh, a, a filter that'll let you see any uh, iWork documents, text files, all that stuff. You can just view them right there on the, on the phone. So it, it, in addition to being just a dumb device in that it just ports files around it, it's actually a, a somewhat smart device that's getting even smarter that lets you see these files. So a, a very cool thing. It's four ninety nine. In the App Store, the app for your Mac is free, so you you download it uh, for your iPhone, and then uh, and then you're good to go. So check it out. Now, John, you found something cool. You stumbled onto something cool. I stumbled on it. So we were talking about the speller, and and so, you know, I was floating around my different apps trying to you know figure out which ones they worked in, and I was in Safari, and I just noticed this when I right clicked, which uh, or control click, you know, which brings up that thing normally. 
I saw a little element here um, called <laughs> inspect element. But no, I saw a choice on the menu. Even if you don't highlight something, uh, when I right click, I see inspect element. I'm like, gee, I, I don't remember seeing that before. So I clicked on it. This is like the king of all web parsing, debugging. Or it looks to be a very, uh, I won't get too, too gushy about it, but, but it, 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 I'm looking at this and based on what I know about web page construction, this basically shows you every little piece of the web page. It shows you the uh, uh, HTML files. It shows you the CSS files, the cascading style sheets that, that are used to describe how, how it's laid out. It shows you the images. And if you click on an image, it'll either show it to you or if it shows it to you, you can then click further and download it. So this looks to be a, you know, I've heard it said that good artists borrow, great artists steal is uh, one way to, you know, make a really nice page of your own is to steal it. No, I certainly don't recommend that. It'd be inspired by other people's pages, but it'll show you the JavaScripts. Uh, I'm looking at this now and, and other elements, but it looks like it does a pretty good job of ripping apart a page and showing you what it's made out of. So if you're if you're curious about how to make, a, you know, a professional looking page or, you know, what makes a page tick, this app looks really cool now uh, you and i dave we we uh, i seem to always see this at least on one of my machines here no matter what i did if i turned on or turned off the develop menu which is the menu that you know you got to be uh, well not careful but you know it's it's for the the heavier geeks out there but um usually you can bring that up if you go to preferences and then um in the advanced section say show develop menu and you were saying that only when that's on, Dave, do you see that menu. I, I found different. So I don't know what I did on my system to cause that anomaly. But but you also have a, the, the magically disappearing library folder. So we, we aren't going to use yours <sighs> yeah. as the, 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 the go-to machine. <clears throat> no, I, that everything works great. But it, it's an amazing little tidbit that I just I, I had never noticed in my my contextual menu before. So yeah, it, let, it lets you walk the, the DOM, the, the document object model for how the website's built. And it's cool. It, it when you brought it up, it reminded me of a of an application that I have found somewhat invaluable when uh, tweaking websites and, and just playing with things. And that is CSS edit uh, from MacRabbit.com. What that lets you do is you can edit HTML and edit a cascading style sheet and it will render your changes live real time as you're editing your changes affect the page that you're viewing this. Now this, when you first use this, you think, Oh dude, it's perfect. The next time I need to, you know, tweak a website, this is what I'm going to do. Well, that's great, except that you can't develop in Safari. You you have to develop and test in Internet Explorer six. Uh, otherwise, oh. other otherwise, and and trust me, I know this from experience. Uh, if if you don't test in IE six while you're doing this, uh, you will wind up with a page that looks great in Safari and Firefox and totally doesn't render at all in IE six. So, uh, but that said, CSS edit. Is a fantastic app, and, and you should check it out. And, and they didn't pay us to say that. I just say it because it's it's pretty darn cool. But don't forget to test in IE6. Otherwise, and, uh, you'll pay a designer a lot of money to fix whatever you broke. You know, Dave, uh, a little mini rant, uh, though we spoke about this before the show. If you design a website and it doesn't work with certain browsers, that's just really, I mean, I don't know how to say it, lame or just... Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I've been running into this in, in several situations. I won't go into great detail, though, though people that know me will know a few cases where I can go off. But, you know, just test your website. Don't do try to. I mean, the, the whole point of the web is that you should be everybody should be able to access the same info in the same way and, and to see either browsers or people that develop web apps break that just just brings a tear to my eye. Yep. It really does. Yep. I agree. I agree. Apple's Apple's advice uh, is actually pretty good in, in that regard. They always tell you, don't test for browser type, test for feature. So if there's some feature that you know, okay, look, Safari doesn't have it, but IE does, don't just say uh, it, it needs to be IE. Do a JavaScript test to see if that feature is available. And if it is, let your code run because some other browser might come out that has that feature and there's no reason to stop it from running mm-hmm. whatever your code is. So, and, and I think I told you one specific application, though I won't be specific about it, where I was able to trick the application into working by on the first page of the application, I disabled cascading style sheets and it revealed a flaw in the coding of the page. I was able to get past that one page and then continue on my merry way through the rest of the site. So yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I thought I thought the day of pages saying I will only work on IE or whatever have passed, but 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 sadly they haven't. Sadly they haven't. All right, I think it's time to uh, to bring the band in, and uh, you know we've got one more uh, contest winner to run through here, and this one's a long one, but it, it's it's worth it. We'll have some some music behind us, and uh, and we'll we'll just roll through this. Let me find it here very quickly. Oh, I think I have it here. I got it. You want to do it? Um, Take it. Go. I'm going to go with it. Okay. And this is a extended haiku, I would call it. Form meets function. Now, that, that's you're reading Ron's. Skip what? down one stanza, and then oh, you can no, read. Oh, no, no, Sorry. There we go. Joshua uh, Horn sends this in. Go ahead. Sorry. Thank you, Joshua. Okay. That's right. <laughs> okay. Back in dark times, computing gave no delight. I was on Windows. A friend saw my plight. He enlightened my poor soul. Get a Mac, he scolds iMac, Mac Mini. What could all of these names mean? I said, I'll start small. I received my Mac. It was so white and so slick. Mouse, keyboard, and all. Was simple at first, but issues always arise. Who could now guide me? I needed some help. I turned to podcasts for it. Two gabbing Mac geeks. (laughs) Once I was clueless, computing was not my thing. Then a Mac I bought. Mackie Gab taught me. I'm now a master of Mac, where once I was not. That's very nicely done. I like it. And you know, the, the end of that leads into, well, we got to hold off a bit, but doesn't <laughs> it just flow, Dave? It does. It just rolls. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. But you have a few things to mention before we will. We'll we do. Uh, okay. So iPhone Alley and of course the iPhone Alley podcast are created by Michael Johnston. And he's the one that kindly converts this into AAC for your listening and interactive pleasure. Cashfly Hosting provides all of the bandwidth for downloading the Mac Geek Gab and getting it to your machine. Lickety Split. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers and everything else from Audio Engine, especially with your MGGTEN 10% off Audio Engine products coupon this month and next month. BB Edit from Barebones Software. Page Sender and Haikus from Smile on My Mac. <laughs> Conference recorder from Ecamm, and of course, a free audiobook from Audible, Mac Geek Gab. Uh, is, we have a link at macgeekgab.com, but you can 
Go there, audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab. And then, of course, Harmon-E-Travel. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And we love iTunes comments. So if you've got a spare moment, right. head over to iTunes, leave a comment. We've got a link in the show notes to get you right there. And I think... Uh, do we have anything else, John, or are we out of here? Uh, we still whooping Adam on the comments. Or, oh, my uh, God. Sorry. Oh, my God. Hi, Adam. <laughs> He's going to get me at a... Oh, that's right. Uh, Portable Media. New Media Expo. Uh, two weeks oh, from he's Wednesday. Gonna get, he's going to get me then, I'm sure. John and I will be there flying out two weeks from Wednesday. We'll be there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And we may podcast. Yeah, we should podcast. Podcast we shall. Unless... Well, you know, I, I'm just going to reiterate, but here, the last verse, MacGab taught me, I'm now a master of Mac, where once I was not, I shall not get caught. Modified haiku. Made up.